Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning. It's good to be back here. John 1.14 says, The word Jesus, Jesus became flesh. He tabernacled among us. Tabernacled among us. Tented among us. John could have used other words to write about Jesus being with the people, being with them. Why use the word tabernacle or tented among us? What association was he trying to make? And immediately in some of our minds, we are already thinking of it. The tabernacle of the Old Testament. Described in Exodus, described in Leviticus, in Numbers as well, and so on. Why make that association? Why talk about Jesus dwelling amongst us as the tabernacle? Why liken Jesus to the tabernacle of the Old Testament? To answer that question, we need to understand what this tabernacle in the Old Testament was all about. Why? What's the significance of the Old Testament tabernacle? Then we'll be able to understand why John described Jesus as tabernacling among us. And that's what today's sermon is all about. That's what we're going to cover today, the tabernacle and the holy presence of God. What was your reaction when you first heard, the first time you heard that we're going to cover Leviticus this year? What was your reaction? I don't know, for me, it's more of the letter. I actually described in, the, in, in a chat group, I, I would never have guessed. 66 books of the Bible, that might be my 65th or 66th guess. Leviticus. Well, I'm sure you're all super excited for us to get right on to it. Preach on Leviticus. But we're holding that back for now. For these four weeks, we're going to cover some background. Two weeks ago, Pastor Kai covered the law. Last week, Pastor Sharon covered the covenant. This week, we're going to deal with the tabernacle. Focus on that. So I'm going to start with the introduction to the tabernacle. What's it all about? What's the tabernacle? Why do I need to know about it? Why do we even need to know about it? It happened such a long time ago. Then I'll go to the main substance of today's sermon and, 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 and ask what's the purpose why is the tabernacle significant? And I hope for you to see this. God really wanted it. And God really wanted it because he wanted to dwell among his people. And he also wanted to meet with his people. So from now on, whenever you think about the tabernacle, I want for these words to come back to your mind. God wanted to dwell among his people and he wanted to meet with his people. Let's pray together. God, grant to us, grant to us spiritual attentiveness to you, to your word. Grant us spiritual hunger for your truth and for you. Open our hearts, O oh Lord, to receive you. Open our ears to hear you. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous truths from out of your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. So welcome everyone to service and to the preaching of the word today. We also welcome those of you who are joining us online, whether from Singapore or from elsewhere. 
Today, we focus on the tabernacle and the holy presence of God. Now, what is the tabernacle? Let's begin with the portion in the Old Testament where this was first mentioned. Tabernacle was first mentioned in the Bible. Exodus 25, verse 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, you shall make it. Now, immediately we see a couple of things here. Where did the people just come out from at this stage? They were at Mount Sinai. They just come out from Egypt. Did they have structures, buildings where they lived in? No, they didn't have. They, they were in the wilderness. So where did everybody live? In tents. So this was going to be God's tent. The people lived in their tents. God wanted a tent for him to dwell in. So this would be God's tent. Now next, whose idea was this? Who came up with this bright idea? Mount of Transfiguration. Someone came up with a bright idea after seeing Jesus with Moses and Elijah. So someone came up with a bright idea, built three booths for them. Oh, who came up with the idea here? Moses could not have thought of something like this. No one could have thought of something like this. God was the divine initiator here. Entirely God's idea. And that's going to be important. We're going to see how. Now, what does the tabernacle look like? I think by now most of us may have seen pictures of it. Now, Pastor Matt, who is preaching in the East today, actually has a model, a kit, a model that he has made, and he's taken a picture of it. That's what it looks like. This is his picture. You can order this online and put this up yourself. Yeah. So he actually bought this, fixed it himself. Now let's get down to some detail. This is what it looks like. Well, yeah, pretty much. You've got to imagine the, the, the tens of the children of Israel being all around the tabernacle. Yeah, so it's not just something on its own like this. It's right in the midst of the encampment. So let's get down to some details of the tabernacle. First, dimensions. How big is it? Whole area, approximately 1,000 square meters, about eight to nine times the size of this stage. So not that small. Then there are two sections you will see there, the larger section and the smaller section. The smaller section there, the tented area. Okay. That's about 70 square meters, slightly smaller than a badminton court. Okay. Two main sections. Let me show you the two main sections. The first main section is the outer section, also called the courtyard. The outer court or the courtyard of the tabernacle. This is where the offerings are presented, the sacrifices were made. By the way, if you want to take photos, I'll tell you when everything is up there. Then you can take a picture if you want to. So three items there, the bronze altar where the sacrifices were placed and burned. Then the bronze laver, that's where the priests will wash their hands before going into the tent. Apart from that, we believe there probably are some tables around for the preparation of the animals as well before they are sacrificed. Then, let's move on to the inner tented area called the inner court or the tent of meeting. Just the inner area. And this inner area has two subsections. The first subsection is the holy place. Holy place. Who can enter the holy place? Only the priests. They enter there to minister to the Lord and only they can enter. And in the holy place, you'll see they're separated from the furthermost section by a thick veil. A thick veil there. And this veil is one day going to become very important. So thick veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And holy of holies, only the high priest can enter. Let's see the holy of holies. Yes. Only the high priest can enter and only once a year on the day of atonement. So now if you want to, you can take a picture of this. 
Everything is up there. I'm not going to go through the verses because today I'm going to focus on the bigger picture, not these details. Okay, for some of you, I know this is already a lot of detail. Do we really need to know all this? It's a lot of detail already. But for some of you, I know this is barely scratching the surface. There's so much symbolism, so much significance to the colors, to the furniture, the objects there, every single object there. So much there to talk about. We won't be covering all that today. I'm going to leave that to unfold as we cover Leviticus. So that's the big picture for now, a brief description of the tabernacle. And some of you may be wondering, why all this attention to the tabernacle? What's the fuss? It's not like we New Testament believers are supposed to set one up. You don't see one downstairs in this church. You don't see us setting up one here for us to worship. Some of you may say it was eventually superseded by the temple anyway. Fair enough. I hadn't always thought that the tabernacle was a big deal until I saw two things. I saw indications that the tabernacle was very important to God. Very important. We've already seen that it's God's idea, not man's idea. God's idea. And when we think of the book of Exodus, what immediately do you think of? What's the book of Exodus about? Being taken out of Egypt? Yep. Taken out of Egypt, rescuing the people from slavery out of Egypt. Exodus has 40 chapters, 4-0. How many chapters were about the rescuing the people from Egypt, the exodus from Egypt? How many chapters? 14 only. So is that what the, the entire book of, of uh, Exodus was all about? No. There's so much more to the book. What were in the other chapters, the rest of Exodus? A huge chunk was on the tabernacle. How many chapters? 13 chapters. Almost as long, almost as much parchment spent on the tabernacle as the deliverance from Egypt. A lot of precious parchment. Second thing I saw, apart from this, so much of Leviticus, which we are going to deal with this year, has to do with the tabernacle. Offerings that are made, high holidays, setting up a priesthood, all that had to do with the tabernacle. In fact, if you just flip through your Bible, well, scroll through your Bible, you will find that so much of Leviticus has got to do, almost half of Leviticus seems to have to do with the tabernacle. So it's a big deal. And now we come to the main thing that I really, really want to address for this morning. You see, God wanted this. God's idea is really important to him. But why? Why? What's the significance of God wanting the tabernacle? And this is where I address the two main points. And before I do that, three things will be repeated in the course of my sermon today. And I'd like you to help me with that. Three sets, three words each. So I wanted this section on my left to help me with the first set of three words. The first set of three words is, it's not possible. That's right. One more time. What do you do in church today? I just kept saying it's not possible. <laughs> so this will be your task. Help me with that. Okay. Second set of three words. Not since Eden. Yeah, to your left. Once again, not since Eden. Thank you. Not to miss the middle section here and all of us up there in the gallery. The third set of three words is God wants it. One more time, God wants it. Thank you. 
So when I point to you, I'd like you to say those three words with me. Okay? We're going to be repeating that constantly. So first thing, first thing about the, the tabernacle, it shows that God wants to dwell among his people. Dwell among his people. We've seen that the tabernacle is to be God's tent. Everybody has a tent. God has a tent as well. So that means that's where God's supposed to dwell. But wait a minute. That's laughable. What kind of God is this? The highest heavens cannot contain him. And here you talk about God dwelling in a tent among them. It makes no sense at all. If that's all there is to it, God having an address, God having a place for shelter, if that's all there is to it, it makes absolutely no sense. But is that all? Is there more to it? Yes. The more to it is this. God wants to dwell among them. Not just that God wants a tent to dwell in, but God wants to dwell among his people. Last year at this time, my wife and I we were in Vancouver. I was at Regent College doing theological studies. So a couple, dear old friends of ours, was coming by Vancouver en route to somewhere in the US. So I said to them, hey, I'm happy for you guys to come and stay with us while you're here in Vancouver. But, but there's a problem. We were renting this place, so this, this bed that we have available for you is a twin bed. Twin bed is smaller than queen bed. So it's a twin bed only. So I don't know whether it's possible for both of you to fit within that twin bed, you know. Do you want me to help you book a hotel nearby instead? And the answer was, no! We want to stay with you. You want to be with you guys. You see, the point of their going there was the point of all this conversation. It's not about finding accommodation. It's not about looking for a place for them to stay at for those few nights when they were there. It was far more about wanting to be with us. It's not about <laughs> paying for a hotel. That's not an issue at all. It was far more about they wanting to just come and be with us, spend as much time with us as possible because they were dear friends of ours. Can you see God in this as well? Not just a tent for him to be in, but so that he can be among his people, to be with his people, dwell with his people. You see God expressing this intention repeatedly. Let's look at a few verses. So I may dwell in their midst, so I may dwell among them. Not just dwell, not just have a tent. Dwell among them, dwell in their midst. Be with the people. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not possible. Can't be done. There's a problem here. What's the problem? Some things cannot be in close proximity with each other. All of us and the sun, for example, the sun, S-U-N. How far are we from the sun? Well, depending on the Earth's revolution and which man, the time of the year. Okay, fine. How, roughly, how far are we from the sun? 150 million kilometers. That's how far it is. If you try to reach the sun using a 747 jet, how long do you think it takes for you to fly there? 19. 19 what? 19 weeks, 19 months, 19 years to reach there. That's how far it is to get from, to the sun. So the sun, we, we need the sun. We can't be too far away from it, but we also cannot be too near to it either. 
Because we cannot bear with the power of the sun, we can't bear with the heat of the sun. So some things cannot be in close proximity with each other. Unholy men cannot be in close proximity with holy God. Not possible. Many in the Old Testament knew this. Like Jacob, after wrestling with God, he was marveling that how he saw God face to face and that his life was spared. You can show the next, let's see the next two verses. Yeah. His life was spared. He marveled at that. He wasn't expecting that. And Isaiah, having seen the vision of the Lord Most High, he said, woe unto me, I'm ruined because my eyes have seen the Lord. They knew that to be in God's immediate presence wasn't good news for them. They cannot withstand it. Even for the slightest moment, cannot withstand it. They'll be consumed by His glory. So God actually dwelling with His people is not possible. Not possible. And more than just not possible, is not since Eden. Not since Eden hasn't happened since the Garden of Eden. Now, in Eden, we, we, we read about God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So he dwelt amongst them. He dwelt amongst men, Adam and Eve. But after the fall, let's show the next slide. After the fall, that changed. In Genesis 3, we see the Lord banished him, Adam, from the Garden of Eden. He drove men out. And after Cain killed Abel, the first death in all of creation, after Cain killed Abel, he was driven away from God's presence and Cain recognized this. You are driving me from the land. Now after this, there was no more any mention of God dwelling among men. No more. Yeah, occasionally the Lord did speak to individuals. The Lord did appear to individuals. But he did not dwell among men. Not anymore. In fact, at the Tower of Babel incident, we noticed something new. Genesis 11.5 says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. The Lord came down. What does that mean to you? Was he living among the people? No. He had to come down to see. In fact, by now, there was a huge separation between God and man. Man had gone farther and farther and farther away, sunk lower and lower and lower. What was the problem? Isaiah states it this way. Isaiah 59, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. So God dwelling among his people, it's not possible. And not since Eden. That's right. Can't be done. But wait a minute. We need these people to say something. But God wants it. One more time. But God wants it. Yeah. Makes all the difference. Two weeks ago, I was thinking about the burning bush. Because I was reminded of it somehow. But I was thinking about the burning bush. God appearing in the burning bush. How many times in all of scriptures did this happen? Once only. Right? Only once. Never repeated. Exodus 3. Who did it appear in the burning bush to? Moses, and only once. And that was the first time he met Moses. He appeared in the burning bush. So why all this? 
What's the significance of all this? As I thought deeper about this, I think, I think I've come to, uh, to understand its significance. You see, in Exodus 3, two things were specifically mentioned and emphasized. Stated twice. And these two things were, God appeared in flames of fire from within the bush. God was burning from within the bush, not outside of it, not above it, not around the bush, but in the midst of the bush. Second thing that was emphasized, the bush was not burned up. Fire and the bush, not a very good combination, right? In fact, not very good news for the bush. Especially in the wilderness, the dry wilderness, not good news. Elsewhere in the scriptures, we read about God being a consuming fire. The bush doesn't stand a chance. But here, the fire was in the midst of the bush and the bush was not burned up. What is this all about? I think I came to see this. God was signaling his intentions. His intention was to dwell in the midst of his people without having to consume them. Holy God, unholy people, but he was signaling his intention right from the start. He was going to dwell among them. Sure, God mentioned also that he's going to take the people out of slavery. He's going to bring them to a new home. And some of us, I mean, we, we all of us, we think rather transactionally. We think what's in it for us. Oh, good. So this is all about being free from slavery. Oh, we get a homeland. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Yay. Is that how God thinks? God thinks relationally. He's thinking relationally of him coming to dwell among them, dwell in the midst of his people in a way that doesn't consume them. How did this happen? It happened through the tabernacle. But how could he remain among men? In one word, with four syllables, the answer is Leviticus. Leviticus. That's how he's able to continue to dwell among men. You see, the, the fire will be the fire. Nothing much you can do about it. Holy God will be holy God. Nothing much you can do about that. But the bush has to be prepared to be hospitable to the fire. Be able to accommodate the fire. And that's what Leviticus is all about. Enabling the people, enabling the bush to be able to accommodate the holy presence of God. That's what it's all about. We think of Leviticus laws as oh, so demanding, so burdensome. What is this God trying to always place demands on his people and on us as well? Don't, don't miss the heart of God behind all this. What's the purpose? So that he may dwell among his people. Man was going farther and farther, sinking lower and lower. How impossible for God to dwell among them. Then, then God initiated this. And he so wanted this. Was this something upon the people's hearts at all? No. All they wanted was yeah, cry out for help and be freed from their slavery. This wasn't something that they wanted. God wanted this far more than they did. And bring a return to Eden. And God wanted it even if it meant being with them in a tent. Almighty God who the highest heavens cannot contain in a tent. Why was he prepared to do so? Samuel Valentin says it this way. This is a God who does not stand above them 
enjoying the precincts of the palace while the people plod through desert sands with never a secure, safe place they can call home, this God takes up residence with the people, tabernacles with them. This God dwells not in the edges of Israel's life, but right at the center of things. Tabernacle is right in the midst of the encampment. This God is committed to the journey. This is a God who is with and for his people for the long haul. Not just for the laser beam-like moments on mountaintops. It's a commitment to intimacy rather than remoteness. In their own times and places, this God will be with them always, journeying with them in the wilderness. This God will be with them always. Some of you know that my wife and I were, were in Israel when the ongoing war broke out on 7 October last year. Um, I was there for a course of studies, which is supposed to take until middle of the year this year. The Straits Times carried two reports of our time there under the war and our departure from there. Some of you may have read those reports, and, and many of you were praying for us. We are most grateful for that. We felt so supported. We were so grateful for, for the prayers. Yeah, those were rather perilous times. On 7 October, the air raid sirens over uh, Jerusalem, that part of Jerusalem that we were staying at, sounded a few times. And each time we have to make our way down to the bomb shelter. As we were making our way down to the bomb shelter, as we were walking down the steps, we could hear boom, a huge blast in the air. That was when the Iron Dome, the defensive Iron Dome uh, rockets went up to engage the incoming rockets. The incoming rockets were headed in our direction. Perilous times. Even when we finally decided to leave, how to leave, there were rockets that were aimed at uh, Tel Aviv, where the airport is, constantly. Was that the best way out? Did we, should we go by a land route, by Jordan? Um, so many questions, so much uncertainty. But right through that period, somehow, I, I felt a strange calm. And one thing that probably kept my heart steady was this. Six words kept coming back to me. My times are in your hands. That kept my heart steady, rested, surrendered. Whatever happens, my times are in his hands. Now, the strange thing was this. I didn't know where I may have come across those words. Was it a song? Was it a book that I read? I couldn't recall when even I last encountered those words. It's not like I, 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 I searched through my memory bank. Oh, I came up with these six words. No, it didn't happen that way. They're from outside of me because I totally couldn't remember them at all. They were planted in my spirit by the Lord. I had to Google these words to find out where they were from. Then I realized Psalm 31, 15 from the Psalms. Was, was God with us during that period? I believe so. And this was one way he was with me. He was with us, planting his word in my spirit to steady my heart, to help carry me through. My friends, some of us may walk through seasons of darkness, seasons of peril and danger, undergoing maybe even injustice, feeling all alone, suffering pain, calling out to the Lord, but he doesn't seem to be near. He seems to be far away. But the God whom he was, desiring to be with his people, is he not the same God today? Is he not the same God to us as individuals? Is he not a personal God to us today as well? I believe he is. And he wants to be with you far more than you want him to be with you. 
What's the tabernacle all about? God wanting to dwell among his people. In Exodus 29, God expresses something beyond this. Not just dwell among the people. He speaks of something else. In Exodus 29, this is what it says. For generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you. There I will speak to you. And also I will meet with the Israelites. God wants that tabernacle for another purpose, to meet with his people. In fact, we see this intention expressed not just there, but in several other verses as well. Constantly the Lord says, I will meet with you, I will meet with you. So there's several verses where God says the same thing. Now what's the first point that I made? What does God want? God wants a tabernacle so that he can be among, dwell among the people. And now he also says he wants to meet with them. But wait. But wait. Three words. It's not possible. That's a problem. It's not possible. It can't be done. Just because God is dwelling among the people doesn't mean that you can have free access to him. Doesn't mean that Moses was going to find that out soon. Let's see what happens in Exodus 40. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What's happened? God's presence was already amongst them. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. God's glory filled the temple. He was already in the tent, already dwelling among his people. But could the people just saunter in there and say, hi, welcome to the neighborhood? Could someone just go over there and fist bump God? High five God? It's not possible. You can't do that. Even Moses could not enter. He could just remain outside. So the book of Exodus ends there actually with Moses outside God within the tabernacle, Moses outside. And the next verse of the Bible is Leviticus 1.1. And there it states, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, from inside. And what happened to Moses? Moses remained outside. So God was already dwelling among his people. No one could access him, not even Moses. No one could meet with him. It's a bit like this. Queen Esther. Queen Esther was in the palace of the Persians and Medes. Now, she was already a queen. She was already living within the palace with close proximity to the king. But she couldn't approach the king anytime she wanted. It wasn't like she can just waltz over to the king's presence and say, Hi, baby. How about coming over for dinner? She can't. You can't. You die. Unless the king holds out the golden scepter to you to spare your life. Just because God was dwelling, the king was dwelling around you, doesn't mean you can have free access to the king. So, what are the first three words? It's not possible. And there are indications that it's not since Eden. Not since Eden. We saw the verses earlier where God said, I will meet with you. The Hebrew word for meet with is yard, yard, meaning a meeting by appointment. It can also mean a betrothal between man and woman. Now, yard, how many times was this word yard, a meeting by appointment, used in Genesis to describe the meeting between God and man? How many times? A total whooping zero. 
Not a single time at all. This word was first used in Exodus 25 when God gave instructions for the tabernacle. There was no such mention of this in Genesis. Yeah, God appeared to various ones in Genesis. God spoke to various ones in Genesis. But there was no mention of this kind of a meeting. The kind of meeting God intended in the tabernacle, through the tabernacle. Not this kind of meeting. In other words, it appears there has been no yard right through Genesis and not since Eden. So how was this going to be possible? Not since Eden. It's not possible. It can't be done. Not since Eden. But here, what is God saying? That's right. God wants it. The tabernacle was just a tent for his dwelling. It's called a tabernacle. It's also called the tent of meeting, a tent of communion. Why call it that? Obviously, because God wanted that to be a place where he was going to meet with his people. How is this going to be possible? Holy God, unholy man, not since Eden. How is this going to be possible? In one word with four syllables? Yes, Leviticus. The only one word answer for this morning is always Leviticus. Exactly like how the bush is going to be prepared to accommodate God. Leviticus holds the answer. How the people are going to be receptive to God and meet with God. We've, we've only seen how God's glory filled the tabernacle. Even Moses couldn't enter. And that's how Leviticus begins. But what happens after that? Let's see Leviticus 9. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. Notice, went into the tent of meeting. Earlier Moses couldn't enter, right? What is happening now? Now they are able to enter the tent of meeting. Huh, this is Leviticus chapter 9. So what has happened between Leviticus chapter 1 and Leviticus chapter 9 such that this could happen? The rules concerning offerings were given, the priesthood was set up. Now the meeting began to be possible. My friends, can you see the purpose of these laws coming to pass? What is the purpose? So that there can be that meeting. So first of all, the first three words. Possible. Next three words. And the next three words. God wants it. Not possible, not since Eden, but God wants it. And then the meeting became possible. Possible. I mentioned that for some time we were at Regent College in Vancouver. And this was for one year. Um, it was an enjoyable time of, of learning, enjoying living in Vancouver, but it was also in some ways a, a, a challenging time for me because I was transitioning out of my, my workplace and suddenly became a student. Suddenly I felt many losses in my life and I, I did spend some time grieving over some of those losses. Loss of competence, loss of career, loss of uh, credentials, loss of contribution to anyone, loss of community, also loss of control over my life. So I felt lost amongst my losses. Then three months into the period, something began to happen. I began to be awakened every night, every night in the middle of my sleep. It had happened before, many years ago. So like before, I took it as a call to prayer. I'll get up, I'll take time to pray. It went on night after night. You would think, wow, this is wonderful. This guy is such a prayer warrior. <laughs> now let me tell you the truth. I wish I was as conscientious and disciplined in getting up to pray. 
It was inconvenient, middle of the night. It was cold, it was winter then. When I was awakened, very often I was slow to respond. I just kept wanting to sleep a bit longer. Just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. And there were times when before I knew it, it was almost daybreak already. I could have been awakened, I don't know, sometime in the middle of the night, but by the time I dilly-dallied, just wanting to sleep a bit more, it was almost daybreak already. This nightly awakening continued for seven months. I'm just thankful the Lord did not give up on me. Continued for seven months until a point where this ending coincided with an important decision I needed to make. So it ended then. I'm just so glad that the Lord did not give up on me. As I think back about it, this one thing that seems very clear to me, the Lord wanted to meet me more than I wanted to meet him. Solemn assembly, the holy assembly, 1st January. Many of us were here for it. And Pastor KK was leading the first part. Pastor KK, at one point, he said, God is more excited about coming to meet you than you are coming to meet him. I don't know whether you remember this. I heard it immediately. I noted this down because already addressing my mind to this sermon. Could it be? Is that true? God is more excited about coming to meet you than you are of coming to meet him. He is holy God. Most of us don't associate holy God with a God who is excited to meet you. We associate holy God with God who is distant, remote, waiting to zap you. God more excited about coming to meet you. Are we over-sentimentalizing God? I don't think so. I don't think so. When we look at how he wanted the tabernacle, when we look at his heart behind the tabernacle, his heart behind Leviticus, what was this all about? A God who wanted to dwell among his people. Not just about a tent for him to dwell in, he wanted to dwell among his people, in the midst of his people. He wanted to meet with his people. Far more than his people wanted this when the people couldn't even have those desires. Yes, God is more excited about meeting you than you are of meeting him. Would you desire to meet him too? So the tabernacle, what was it all about? What does it show? It shows that God wanted to dwell with his people. God wanted to meet with his people. But not possible. And what's more, it's been not since Eden. But, but, yes, God wants it. That's the amazing thing about all this. I was amazed and awed by this in my preparation. It was important in his day. God wanted it for his people. But it was going to carry a significance beyond its day. It also foreshadowed something greater you see, he pointed to a time when God was going to be present among people, meet with his people, walk with them, talk with them, truly be with them in a tangible manner. But it's not possible. And not since Eden. God present amongst them in a tangible manner. Not possible, not since Eden. But yes, God wants it. And what do we see happening? Jesus tabernacled among us. As we close, I invite the worship team up. I started with John 
Jesus tabernacled among us. And I want to come back to that now. What's the significance of Jesus tabernacling among us? Significance of that. Drawing us back to Old Testament times. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. Holy God. Fully with us. Eternal God. Timeless God. Now with us. Transcendent God. Now in the midst of his people. He was signaling a new beginning. He was signaling a reset. He was doing a new thing. Jesus let go of his divine privileges. He took on humanity, even the status of a slave. And more than that, he died a selfless, obedient death. Not only was he God Almighty, tabernacling among us, he also became the perfect sacrifice offered at the tabernacle, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. It's not possible. Cannot be done. But God wants it. And it was done. It was finished. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, we thank you for what the tabernacle shows. Your heart, your gracious desire to dwell among your people. And your amazing desire to want to meet with them, commune with them, even when that was impossible for so long, so many generations. We thank you also for Jesus who tabernacled with us, the perfect tabernacle the very presence of God among us and also the perfect sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. But what you did, you made it fully possible, fully possible for God to dwell with us and for us to enter into your presence and commune with you. Now, more possible than any time before. My friends, as we remain bowed and our eyes closed, I want to address those of us who have not yet called upon Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, including those of us who are attending online. You're not a Christian. You hear about God wanting to dwell among His people, wanting to commune with His people. You've never heard of a God like this. And you want to call upon this God and you want to worship this God. For the first time, you want to do this. My friends, you do this by faith through calling on the name of Jesus. Might there be anyone today amongst us who wants to do this? I want you to raise your hand up high so I can see you, pray with you, and pray for you. Anyone among us who wants this? Anyone? You want to call upon the name of Jesus for the first time. You acknowledge Him as your Lord and Savior. You want Him to dwell with you. You want to meet with Him. Now for the rest of us, I want us to respond to God through this song that we're going to close with. A very short, simple song, but very precious to me. It's so precious to me that when I came in early this morning, the worship team was rehearsing, they were playing it, and immediately tears ran down my eyes. It says, draw me nearer to you, nearer to you, 
fill my life with your presence the way you want to till my soul is ablaze each and every day draw me nearer draw me nearer to you let's just remain seated as we sing this draw me nearer draw me nearer to you nearer to you heard that the Lord wants to be with His people. The Lord wants to meet with His people. Would you also want to meet Him? Would you want Him to? To me, this is one of the main things in our Christian life. One of the main things our Christian life is about spiritual hunger. It's foundational. We sometimes pray for personal revival, but there's no personal revival without spiritual hunger. We as parents know that something is wrong with our child when the child is not eating. We get worried. Then when the child starts to eat again, we feel relieved, we feel happy. Hunger is normal. Spiritual hunger should be normal. The absence of hunger means something is wrong. All of us need this. Today, some of you want to be drawn nearer to God. You want for your soul to be ablaze with Him. You want to come and say to him, Lord, forgive me when I don't want this. I acknowledge, Lord, I don't want this as much as you want this for me. Forgive me when my heart, my soul is preoccupied, not ablaze, cold, distant, distracted. God, I want spiritual hunger. I want spiritual hunger. I don't want to be filled with junk from this world. I want spiritual hunger. If that's you, I want you to, we're going to sing this song once again. We're going to come back to the song. I want you to stand as an indication of God, of your desire for spiritual hunger, that you want Him as much as this God wants to be with you. You want to be with Him. I want you to stand as you sing this again. Draw me nearer, nearer to you. Draw me nearer to you. Nearer to you. Fill my life with your presence oh, the, the way you want to To my soul's place And every day Draw me nearer, nearer to All stand together and sing that once again Draw me nearer 
www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.